Every podcast needs a theme song. And here's mine. Hi, folks. Welcome to this week's episode of Restoring History. I am Mike Kelleher, and on today's show, I'll give you a little glimpse into one of the many ways we digitally extract line from a printed comic. I'll also be talking with good friend, colleague, and restoration artist Wesley Wong about how we got into the business and how cool it was to work upwards of 14 hours a day. And as always, Heather Bates joins us for the news. But first, Calistration.com. Yep, one of the world leaders in digital comic restoration has launched the Master Series of high-quality art restorations, and you can order them from Calistration.com. The first set of four 18-by-24-inch prints featuring Windsor McKay's brilliant Little Nemo in Slumberland is available now. Each of these important illustrations were painstakingly restored from the original artboards, giving you, for the first time, a glimpse at the beautiful art the way it was intended. New prints are available every few months, so check back often, but order now before they sell out at Calistration.com. That's K-E-L-L-U-S-T-R-A-T-I-O-N.com. Okay, our first topic today is line art restoration. You want to know how we do it? Well, I'm going to tell you. Of course, there are multiple ways that we can create line, line art for reprints. We prefer to work from scans or copies of the original art or original film, but that isn't always an option. Sometimes there is no original art or film. It may have been lost or, or destroyed. On some occasions, we know where the original art is, but the owners are unwilling to supply us with scans, and, you know, believe it or not. When that happens, we need to resort to pulling the line art from previously printed copies of the art, which means the original comics. There are different methods of doing that, but today I'm going to concentrate on the digital process. We start by finding a copy of the original comic. Now, it needs to be the first printing of the comic. We can't rely on reprints like Marvel Tales or, uh, if you remember, the, the trade paperback of the origin of Marvel Comics back in the early 70s. To ensure that we have the earliest version of the line art as well as the original colors, we need that original first printing. Now, what do I mean by the earliest version of the art? Well, once a comic is printed, let's, let's uh, use Amazing Spider-Man number 22, for an example. Uh, the film was usually stored away. Then, a few years later, that same story gets reprinted in an issue of Marvel Tales, which was a comic that mostly featured reprints of older Spider-Man comics. When they reprinted the story... The editors would often go in and change things, sometimes a little, sometimes a lot. You might see a reference uh, in the original book to President Johnson, and that got changed to President Nixon to make the story sound a little more current. A few times we saw costume changes on characters uh, when the books were reprinted. Dialogue changes happened uh, too every once in a while. So acquiring the earliest printed versions of the comic was the only way to ensure that there were no changes to the work. And a lot of times this is no easy feat. Uh, some comics are rare and expensive, and we found when we restored early Archie comics, we would seek out a book to use as source material for restoration. We need to take the quality, the quality of the print into consideration. As I've discussed before, the, the printing was terrible in comics, usually, and also inconsistent. That means that we could look at 20 different copies of, uh, say, Archie Comics number 3, and they could all have different quality levels of printing. And that's if you can find 20 copies of the book. In many cases, the time and resources limited our ability to hunt down and scrutinize multiple copies of these books before we bought them. So we're stuck buying whatever's available, even if the printing is horrendous. So anyway, now we've spent days, weeks, or even months searching, and we now have a comic with the best quality printing that we could find. So now, now we get to work. We scan the book uh, page by page, bring it into Photoshop, which is uh, my editing software of choice here at Calistration. Most people think that, oh, this is easy. You just remove the color and presto, only the line art remains. And yeah, that's the core concept, but it's far from easy. Uh, let, me, let me tell you a little story. I get a lot of, a lot of people that contact me looking, looking for work. I also get the occasional person who seems to want to challenge me almost the way a gunfighter gets called out of a saloon to draw against a young kid looking to prove himself. And I'll get an email along with an image of a restored comic page. The email always reads something along the lines of, hey, I downloaded a comic page off the internet and I spent the week restoring it and it looks just as good as what you do. Now get me a job. 
And of course, there's always something wrong with the file. It was created at too low of a resolution, so it's worthless for print. It needs to be completely redone from scratch, or just the quality simply isn't there. And of course, if it's taking you a week to do the work, you're going to starve to death. I asked them to practice some more and send me more samples with their when their quality improves and if they can work it up in a few hours or less. I rarely hear back from them, and when I do, it's even more rare that they're ready to handle this type of work. It's, it's tedious, it's uncreative, and unless you can do it really fast, you're not going to make enough money to survive. So back to where, where I was talking. The core idea is simple, but it takes a lot of knowledge on how comic art is, is drawn, and it helps to have a knowledge of printing, specifically knowledge of what types of printing problems occurred. I had 15 years of years working as a printer before I started working on the Marvel Masterworks, and so I know quite a bit about about the printing process and the problems that that it creates. And problem one: when you scan an, scan an image into your computer, it scans it as RGB. A scanner can't differentiate the cyan or magenta or yellow plate from the black plate. And sure, you can change the image to a CYMK file after you've scanned it and take a look at each individual channel. And, uh, in case you don't know, a channel in Photoshop, it's the equivalent of a printing plate. It's just the four different colors separated. And you can, you can see each color uh, separate from the other. Uh, but the cyan channel will also show all the black lines as well as the magenta and yellow. Every channel will contain the black lines because the scanner can't can't break them apart during the scanning process. So logically, you think, well, simple enough. Remove the C, M, and Y, and that just leaves the K, which is the black ink. Well, then there are more problems there, too. Since the image is scanned in RGB, Photoshop basically reads the combination of cyan, magenta, and yellow as black. So if you have a cyan dot over a magenta dot, which is on top of a yellow dot, Photoshop sees that as a black dot. Long story short, no matter what method you use, you almost always have remnants of colored dots all over your image. And these need to be removed by hand. And that takes time. An experienced Photoshop user might say, well, why not use a Photoshop filter like Median to remove the dots? And if you don't know what a Photoshop filter is, uh, they're little uh, automated actions that perform tasks, like uh, sometimes simple ones like removing dust and scratches from photographs. And some other cool stuff, like uh, taking a photograph and making it look like an oil painting. Uh, but these, are, these filters affect the entire image, not, not just the dots. And so if you, try, you, if you use that filter to remove the dots, it's going to affect the line art, and usually in a negative way. And sure, you can take the time to light, isolate the dots and use that median filter I mentioned, and we often do that, but it's very time-consuming. It's... it's it, it, let me put it this way. It might be, it, it, it's not like, uh, it's, it, it, it's, it's not like coal mining. It's not that kind of hard work, but it's, it's a lot of work. And if you don't know what you're doing, it's going to take you forever and your results aren't going to be, aren't going to be great. So now we have the dots taken care of. We need to scrutinize the actual artwork or more accurately, we need to scrutinize the printing. A trained eye can look at the line that was printed, uh, that was printed too thick or too dark and see the remnants of the original intact line within that blobby mess. It's actually, it's, it's there. And like a digital archaeologist, we can chip away at the portions of the lines that are obviously caused by poor printing, leaving only the original line art. And, but of course, you need to know what to look for. And some of, some of my uh, most fulfilling moments are when we restore a page from a comic using this method, and then at some future date, miraculously, we get a copy of the original art. And I compare my, uh, my restoration to the original art and see that we're just right on, tar right on target. Our restorations match the original art. And it just, uh, not only you know, just proud of the work that I do, but just, just the idea that, all right, we were, we were able to do it. We, we, we have the ability to, find, to give the reader what the original artist wanted you to see, even from poorly printed material. Now, sadly, the information that we need to dig for isn't always visible in a printed book, especially the book printed too light and thin. It's often easy for us to find lines buried in the ink, but if the ink isn't there, 
99% of the time, we can't do anything. If the line didn't print in the original printing and we have no original art or film, that line's gone forever. We have no idea that it ever existed. And so I'm sure there's a lot of, there's a lot of line art that's gone, that's just gone forever and we'll never see. You'll also see that the line art may be inconsistent. The lines may have, been, may have printed too thick on one side of the page and too thin on the other. You then need to figure out what the correct thickness is and make the lines relatively consistent, while, while at the same time realizing that the lines most likely were not drawn to be consistent. And that's one of the reasons why some publishers don't like the line art to be touched at all. They would rather give you a poor quality representation of the line art than a restoration artist's subjective version of the line art, which I discussed, uh, I think, probably last, uh, last week. Either way, it, we strive to give the client the best quality possible, no matter how they prefer to have the material pre presented. If they want to attempt to give, their, uh, give the audience a, a representation of what the artist wanted, or if they just want to give a quick, easy representation of the printed books, just so you, so you can enjoy them even in the, the minimal amount of quality that, that we can provide, which, of course, would be just a copy of the printed book, that's what they'll do. Lastly, to make a good quality line restoration, you need to be able to differentiate what's supposed to be there and what's not supposed to be there. Uh, scratches or just poor printing can uh, produce lines and splotches that were never in the original art. A piece of goop that got onto the film or on the printing plate could easily be mistaken as an intentional part of the artwork. If you don't know what you're looking for, you'll inadvertently misrepresent the artwork of the artist by adding something that wasn't supposed to be there. Well, enough about that. Before I get on to today's guest, uh, let me tell you a quick story about how poor printing affected a story personally for me. Uh, specifically, it was a cover of a book, the original Hulk number three from, I'm guessing, 1962. You may or may not know that originally the Hulk only lasted for six, inch, for six issues before it was canceled back in 1963, or 62. Uh, the cover for number three, which was penciled by Jack Kirby and I'm pretty sure uh, inked by Dick Ayers, it shows the Hulk carrying a sidekick, Rick Jones, as Hulk leaps into the air and a missile is coming, hurtling at them from behind. And Rick is freaking out, yelling something like, I can't control the Hulk, he's gone crazy, or something like that. And the Hulk is looking straight ahead with a sneer, almost as if to say, uh, screw you guys, I'm not afraid of you, I don't need your crap, I'm getting out of here. But when I was working on the Incredible Hulk omnibus, and I received a good quality scan of the artwork, it showed that the Hulk isn't looking ahead. His eyes are rolled to one side in the direction of the missile. And that one little difference changed my entire perception of the cover. Instead of an insolent, maybe even arrogant Hulk who was unaware or unafraid of the missile and just simply running from the soldiers that were annoying him, I now get the impression that he knows the missile's coming and he's running from it. And his expression is more out of rage and survival than disdain and annoyance. And this is a quick little story about how uh, how a small detail can affect the entire perception of an illustration and so you can imagine a bigger thing can can affect the <laughs> perception of an entire story but anyway let's get on to something a little more fun all right joining me now is color and art restoration artist wesley wong hey wes hey mike how's it going i'm doing just fine thank you thanks for joining us today um I figured what I would like to talk to you about is we, we, we've, we've both been working on Marvel Masterworks for quite a while now. Yeah. And uh, I, think the, I think the easiest place to start is let's discuss how we both got into doing this. And your, your, your story is a little simpler than mine, so why don't you go ahead and tell us how you, how you got uh, hooked up with Corey and how you started working on all this stuff. Uh, well, basically, um, several years back, I was living in Tucson, Arizona, and I was unemployed for, I want to say, like, two years already. And so I was doing, like, all these odds and ends jobs trying to get work. Um, but then, like, I frequented uh, the gutter zombie board, mostly as a lurker. And then I saw that Corey made a post um, looking for somebody new how to flatten everything. And originally, I wasn't going to do it because he's like, he wanted references and experience. But I was like, well, I'm not really pulling in any money, so I don't really have anything to lose. <laughs> so I asked him if I uh, 
if I could try out, even though I didn't really fit the qualifications, and he let me try out. And that pretty much was that. Wow. Do you remember the first uh, the first pages he sent you over? Uh, I don't remember the exact issues. Um, there were two two phases. The first one was um, Sergeant Fury, um, and actually I ended up coloring those same pages. I think in the the mass work that came out later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I actually botched it all up the first time because uh, he explained everything to me, and I didn't keep the email open. So like I colored it with the twenty five, fifty, one hundred, but then I threw in a seventy five because oh. in my head the math made sense yep yep but, uh, so i sent it to him he's like uh yeah no these aren't supposed to be in there i was like well i'm screwed but you know <laughs> tried it anyway and then after that the second phase he gave me um an uncanny x-men one i forgot which one it was uh but it's the it's when phoenix comes out of the water um i should know these but i think that was that's the dave the early dave cochran issue it was probably like around 101 or something I think so, right around there, yeah. Those were harder. Um, actually, like, that one took me quite a bit longer because I didn't quite understand how to do it. And then that was yet another time where I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be able to handle this. Yeah. But I decided just to finish it anyways because, you know, I just didn't want to leave it hanging. So I sent that off to him. I'm like, well, thanks for the opportunity. And then afterwards he's like, yeah, you know, um, you went through the big spiel that basically said, like, at first I thought it was, like, it was going to be one of those, uh, well, thanks for trying out, but I'm going with somebody else. But he ended it with, like, you know, welcome to the Good Ship Masterworks. And I was like, oh, crap, <laughs> I have a job. I had uh, kind of, well, a little more complicated but similar experience where the first time that he, he sent me uh, pages to work on, it, it was X-Men. And I think it was whatever Masterworks came before the death of Phoenix. And, you know, the printing on it was horrible, but I, not that I knew any better at the time anyway. And he sent, he sent the pages over to me. And my only instructions were, you need to make this, you, you need to recreate the colors to make it look like the printed reference. <laughs> and in the very first email, he didn't say anything about 25% or 50%. I don't know if he assumed that I knew that already. Uh, which he might have because, uh, well, I should probably go back a little bit, where I was doing, the, the way I got hooked up with uh, with Corey was I was doing flatting work for Dean White, a good friend of both of ours. Yeah. And we uh, just one day we were ha- having a conversation. That's what we would do. We'd sit, we'd sit at the computer for hours and just sit and talk while we're both working, me doing the flatting and him doing the actual work. <laughs> and uh, we just started talking about the uh, old-fashioned coloring compared to modern coloring, and I I like the the old coloring better. It was simplistic. I liked the colors. Uh, everything made a lot of sense to me. And he liked the he liked the more modern coloring, of course, because he's more of a he's more of a painter. Yeah. And after that conversation, not not too long afterwards, he sends me a note and says, hey, do you mind if I put you in touch with uh, with a good friend of mine over at Marvel? He's taking over the old Marvel Masterworks series. They were going to bring, the, uh, bring that back at the time. And they were looking for someone who could do that kind of coloring. And I was excited because I thought I was going to be just doing like old-fashioned coloring. I didn't realize it was uh, uh, restoration. And so yeah, he, send, he sends me the pages and he sends me the... the just the, just the note saying, "Hey, make this look like the look, look like the original printing," and so I did. I of course put it into Photoshop, and I just was just sampling colors and putting things in there. And I had gradients all over the place because <laughs> you know things just didn't look look like they were flat colors. And I was coloring in eyes where the eyes didn't need to be colored. I was adding things that didn't need to be be added in there. And just like it, when 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 he sent back the, the notes. I just figured, okay, well, I'm just done. And he said, no, no, let's keep pushing forward. And he was really good about it, kept giving me all kinds of pointers as we were as we were going along. And I must have been, my goodness, it, at least two weeks over schedule by the end by the end of it. Uh, uh, he was he was desperate for the pages by the time the by the time I delivered everything. But we finished the book, and I was just fully expecting to never hear from him again. Uh, but sure enough, within a week or two, he says, "Are right, you ready for the next book?" 
And I said, yeah, sure. And it was the, the Avengers, and it was a lot easier than this X-Men stuff. And that's when things just kind of just started rolling. And I remember when he, I remember when he put up the, the post looking for more people. Because he gave me, uh, he sent me an email. Because he, he's, he's such a nice guy, and he, he he thinks ahead when dealing when dealing with people. He sent me uh, an email saying, "Hey, listen, you're going to see me posting a lot of uh, a lot of things on the internet, all the different sites, looking for more people to help us out with this masterwork stuff. Don't think that I'm looking to fire you. I'm not. I'm not looking to replace you. I'm looking for people to help us out uh, with everything. And I thought it was really cool that he thought." to think of me in that way, you know, to sit yeah. down and because, and, and I would have, if I had seen those posts without having a conversation with him, I would have thought, well, that's it. He's, he, he's had it with me. And luckily <laughs> that, luckily that wasn't the case and just kept getting bigger and bigger. And as you know, when you, know, you, you joined on, a lot of other people joined on and yeah. it just, it, it when it was a great few years that we had there. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a nice run. Working for Corey was great, and it, in a sense, it kind of it spoiled me in terms of like working with other people because Corey always kind of <laughs> kept me in the loop on everything. Yes. Even when he, you know, went freelance, he gave me a call and was like, "Oh, I'm going freelance." I'm like, "I don't know what that means necessarily." <laughs> Does it mean I'm unemployed again? I don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've had projects where I find out. Uh, I don't know what's going on with anything until I read it on the internet. Like I call their friends' books, and they're like, they're "Like, oh, it's coming out." Like, I didn't, I didn't know we were, I didn't know it was a thing yet. I thought it was just we were just working on brainstorming. <laughs> now, another thing we have in con- we we both got to work at the uh, at the Marvel Warehouse sorting yeah. out sorting out film, and I would like to. Uh, we're now, my goodness, it's been three, four years since our last trip out there. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that long ago. No, it it, it doesn't. But uh, so now that we're a few years removed from it, and we're uh, finally rested up, both mentally and physically, what 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 are your thoughts on it? Obviously, at the time, it was it was nerve wracking. It was a lot of work. It was um, it, it was tedious, and in a lot of ways, it it wasn't fun. But now <laughs> yeah. now looking back on it, what 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 are your thoughts on it? You know, um, actually, like, Sheila and I kind of talk about it every once in a while, where it's, um, the, the process itself, yeah, it was, it was what it was, you know, it was just, it was work. But, um, you know, we still, like, it, there's a certain camaraderie that kind of came as a result of us all just kind of being in, uh, that, uh, less than ideal situation. Yes. So, there are times where we're like, oh, we kind of wish there'd be another thing like that. <laughs> but, um, no, it's still kind of cool, like, you know going through and finding all the, like, the big, you know, the films and seeing, like, what they looked like compared to how they printed. Yeah, it's, it's like, looking back, it is a positive experience now. Uh, you know, at the time, it wasn't, like, for uh, the first, the very first warehouse trip where we showed up late, that was kind of, um, how that warehouse looked was a little, it was not what I pictured in my head <laughs> when, I, when Corey sent, uh, sent the invite to go and help at first. But, uh, no, it's, it's, it's cool now. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I would, uh, I would, I would love to be able to, you know, to do something like that again, but under more control, I don't, don't know if controlled is the word, <laughs> but just better, better circumstances, not having to put in the 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. Um, Maybe well, and you know now we knew. You know, by the, by the time we were done, we knew what we were doing. But yeah. of course, that was it was over a, th- a three year period, and you know there there were there were points in time when we were going through and trying to figure out how to sort all this information out because there was my goodness, what like sixty six thousand pieces of material that we ended up going through, something like that. Yeah, that's it was pretty insane. I mean, I still look at the photos. And I'm like, wow, yeah. I actually got through all that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, even even now. I'm still kind of hesitant about talking about too much of it because I don't know what we can and can't talk about. I try to keep my conversations limited to things that I've heard Corey talk about publicly, and that's uh, you know that's not a lot of inform- information. And hopefully yeah. someday we can sit down and just you know just do a nice little roundtable and reminisce about about everything that we did there. Some of the cool stuff that we came across. Some of the stuff that we didn't come across that we were hoping to find. 
Yeah. And um, which uh, I think one of the things, which is I, I'm 99.9% sure has been made public, we found just it was just all film, and it was all film and copies of, of things. And at least I was always hoping that once in a uh, you know, at one point we would hopefully open up a, one of those giant envelopes and find a Jack Kirby original art piece in there or something. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, nothing. You know, obviously, nothing, nothing like that came across. I do remember the first couple of days that we were there. Of course, uh, Corey, uh, Corey had been there for what at least a week or two before we shoot before we showed up. I remember I was I was excited to be there. And he, uh, him, and uh, him and Rhett Thomas, they they were worn out already. <laughs> and when I started going through, going through the rolls of the rolls of paper, what we called the paper, the excitement that I had when I opened up and I found an Amazing Spider-Man number one, and I was so thrilled, and I yelled over to Corey, Corey, I found Amazing Spider-Man number one, and his reaction was literally great. Put it down, get on to the next one. He, <laughs> he just didn't care because uh, at that point he, he he had lost all of his excitement, and very quickly I lost my excitement because I mean, as you remember, it, it was it, it, it was horrid. And yeah. the, the the condition, uh, it's not fair to say the condition, but uh, just how misorganized everything had become over the, what, 60 years or so worth of uh, worth of film. It was it was it was pretty amazing. What, uh, the lack <laughs> the lack of organization that they had over the years, which, yeah. you know, which, of course, necessitated to have, what, seven of us over a three year period go through and organize all this stuff, but it was it was it was a fun experience, especially for someone like me. I grew up with most of this material. Uh, in fact, the the files that we had at the warehouse pretty much coincided with me kind of falling out of the com- of reading comics. Where in the, it, I think it was what probably like the mid to late nineties where everything started petering out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we didn't find much. Uh, find much after that. I don't know exactly what year everything went completely digital, but I'm guessing it was somewhere around uh, the year 2000. Yeah, like for me, um, the first trip I was only there a week, I think, a little over that, and that one wasn't. Um, you know, like I saw some things. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. I think the second trip, the early phases of that, were the ones where I kind of went all fanboy because you know we'd find like these large He-Man ones, and I'm like, oh my god, He-Man! <laughs> you know, it's just. 80s and everything so saw all these like 80s toy properties i never got a chance to actually see and i was like oh this is great and you guys are like yeah okay <laughs> i'm like it's e-man well and, and uh, of course i was I, I think i was just a little bit too old uh for he-man because i wasn't too old for rom and so no. i think we're, we're both we're both in the same category just a few years apart yeah, I think um, for me it's largely because, uh, <laughs> like, I, I was probably too old for He-Man during, like, I really should have stopped with him. Like, I still have figures now, so I really should have stopped with him a long time ago because I remember even in grade school people were like, yeah, yeah, He-Man's kind of out. You really need to not be a big fan of his. <laughs> like, he's, he's awesome. So, Well, I guess that brings us to what, what are you, in terms of uh, comics, do you read anything faithfully now? Um, faithfully, ah, it's, I, I'm a trade reader cause I don't really yeah. take care of my comics that well. So they kind of just pile up and I, I can't find anything. Yeah. Um, but in terms of trade paperbacks, I've been reading, um, I don't know what's going on with a lot of like Marvel and DC stuff. Cause like the crossovers kind of lose me, uh, cause it's just expensive, but yeah. I, I picked up a few of them. I didn't get a chance to read them. Uh, I've been reading a few of the image books, um, saga I've been reading, um, See what else I have. Um, like Black Science, I've been reading that. Of course, uh, yep. Dean's book. Primarily, I originally picked it up because of Dean's coloring. Right. But, you know. <laughs> Same here, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I just I ordered the second trade. I think last week, so that should be coming in. Good. Um, but yeah, I've been also reading um American Vampire um by uh, Scott Snyder and Raphael Albuquerque. Um, Is that an image book? No, that's actually a Vertigo one. Oh. Uh, so the trades are like pretty cheap. They're like ten bucks a piece on uh, in stock. So I've been reading those. Um, but yeah, I've been all over the place. I'm not really faithful, but I still kind of read them because I still um, 
you know, there's still some interesting things going on. I think I, like, I, I'm still in the learning phase, so I'm trying to absorb as much as possible in terms of, like, what people do and how they go about doing it, so. In, what do you mean, in terms of art and story, or? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and th- I guess that's another uh, another thing we can kind of uh, delve into, because I, th- I think you and I are kind of in the same boat, where we're both illustrators at heart, and we kind of fell into the art restoration business. Yeah. Uh, almost, well, for me, and I'm assuming uh, from what you just told me, same thing for you, it was kind of out of necessity. I and mean, I wasn't making enough money as an illustrator. I was making, I was making money, and my name was getting out there, but I you know, wasn't able to feed the, uh, the wife and kids. And when the Masterworks came along and presented and eventually grew into the opportunity that I did where I could start my own company, you know, it was a godsend where I was able to really start paying my bills and being able to uh, do my drawing on the side and slowly start building it back into, you know, becoming an illustrator. And it's even, even now it's wonderful that in a way I get to do my living. I make off of art, but of course it's fixing, fixing other people's art. I do the like illustrations for a company that does Kindle books, but it's generally uh, not one single project. It's usually like, Oh, I need a cover. I'm like, okay. Right. So, well, in, in a way, that can be that can be a lot of fun too, because you're not stuck just doing one thing over yeah. and over again. I mean, as you, as I'm sure you, you would agree with the masterworks. I don't know how you know, after you're working on one book for like three months, it can it, it can become nerve wracking. Yeah, you can't wait for it to finish. Just so, just so you can you know you can stop working on Sergeant <laughs> Fury, so you can jump on the Thor. Yeah, Same and I, like, I don't work, do as but... many. I'm the, like I only did the I think the uh, the Marvel Comics omnibus. So it's like there's only one time that you know it took that like biggest stretch. Whereas like you you've done like five or six different uh, well omnibuses per year from what I've seen. So oh yeah, well of course I have a lot of people helping. Early on it was tough when uh, like I think when we did the first Amazing Spider-Man omnibus, and I think that. That might have took me like a good six months to go through it, to go through everything. And I'm trying to remember if that was before or after Corey started finding that they had some better quality scans available for us. I'm sorry, a better quality material to, to scan from uh, for us, what we call the uh, record negatives. But yeah, I, mean, I just remember that was that was a lot of work, and I did almost all of it myself. And I think that's the one. That's the project when, in the middle of it, I was working on that and working on something else, and Corey came to me and said, hey, is there any way we can pick up the pace? And I said, well, yeah, I'd have to hire more people. He said, well, whatever you got to do. And so that, that was pretty much the, the start of how everything started rolling for me. Oh, nice. and then, yeah, and then, of course, from there, I started getting contacts from other, from other companies to start doing start doing more work as they started seeing what I was doing with with the Marvel Masterworks. Now, do you have any one project in in the Marvel Masterworks that you either loved for any reason or hated for any reason? It's kind of they're kind of both one and the same in that <laughs> like um I guess like it's more like a looking back scenario. Well, uh, the Golden Age Marvel Comics number one, like the whole Golden Age Marvel Comics omnibus was kind of brutal because that was my first uh, first foray into Golden Age. And that, like, the, those were kind of a little more complicated than I was used to, even after all the years of doing everything else. Oh, yeah. the um, just, just, just the water patterns in the Submariner must have been. Yeah. Yeah, that must have been hell. Yeah, that was weird because it was, like, the first time I actually used, like, different layers because... Like, they just had their, their – it was just different. So afterwards, like, I used layers where I kind of did it so, like, similar to how they would cut the film. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to try to see if uh, with more complex pages, if I could use, like, a magenta layer and a cyan layer and all yep. that stuff. And then I cut those out. But, um, yeah, so that was, like – that was hell. I mean, that, that was, I was doing that. I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I should have just – told him no but uh <laughs> after it's done and you know like looking back now it's like it's still kind of one of those proud ones you know it's like oh that's yeah i get to help restore the coloring on marvel comics one that's pretty pretty foundational yeah that's, um, yeah I, I i think about that on a lot of books 
uh, that have that I've worked on because you know obviously I never never get to work directly with Jack Kirby, uh, yeah. and even though Steve Ditko is still around, I'm never going to get to <laughs> to work with him. But yeah, in a in a very real way, we get to say that we worked. You know, we worked on Marvel Comics number one. We worked on Amazing Spider-Man number one, yeah. um, and we and and we made a a definite contribution to it. You know, we really we we. Uh, we, we certainly didn't improve the artwork, but we improved on what the audience has has seen or what the audience would have ever seen. Yeah, and, uh, and I, I, I think I think it's important. I think we, de- you know, I, uh, yeah, I think we deserve a pat on the back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will pat myself on the back for that. Yeah, one. Good. <laughs> what, what's funny is like I'm not actually a big fan of uh, Golden Age stories. You know, I mean, I'm more of a Silver Age one. I like the Atlas era stuff. Golden Age always. Uh, those are interesting because I'm reading them. I'm like, this is kind of the force used by the heroes seem a little excessive for <laughs> the crime committed. Sometimes it's like, oh, this guy stole money from a bank, but you know, so now they're gonna, you know, Human Torch comes in and just nukes everything <laughs> down the street. I'm like, hmm, probably cost more money on that one. <laughs> I was trying to think what. Because I, I, I asked you the question, what your favorite or hated, most hated Masterworks was, and it just occurs to me. I don't think I have an answer for that, for my own question. Well, uh, so you tried to trick me then, basically. <laughs> I think probably the, the the one thing that I was happiest to work on, or the coolest thing, was when we received from, uh, I think it was from the Library of Congress, we got really good scans of the original art for Amazing Fantasy number 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man. And it was well. We had already redone that. Of course, it was originally printed in Masterworks years and years ago. We went ahead and fixed it based with the scans from the warehouse. And then after that, we got scans of the original art, and so we got to go in and 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 fix it from from those original art pages. And I thought that was I thought that was ridiculously cool. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, nothing really stops Corey from a. Uh using the best source possible as soon as he gets it. So that's cool. Oh, my God. Oh, working with him on uh, Miracle Man has it, it just wa- watching him work. Uh, well, it, it's such a slow process. I can't say watching him work because it's like watching a glacier move. Uh, but it, it's the forces against him trying to I mean, he, he he literally scoured the planet trying to find all the original art that he that we could for, you know, for the whole Miracle Man series, which were finally wrapping up uh hopefully within the next month or so yeah it's it's actually trippy how long uh like that was in the works because i remember um i think it was the second uh, the second warehouse trip yep that uh that Corey just had all those stacks of miracle man going and he was just like oh we're gonna be doing something with it but uh, it wasn't until several years later that everything got you know fully set in motion but right i think that so that would have been like uh uh it was either 2009 or 2010 and I drove over to I drove and picked him up so we could drive out there and uh, out to the warehouse. And the first thing that he said to me was, "We got Miracle Man." And the first thing I thought was, "What is Miracle Man?" I had <laughs> I had no really no uh, no idea. What, I, I, I'm sure I'd heard of the character before, but I'd never read it. Uh, had very little to no interest. But the you know the great thing is that you know, we went through it when we we first started working on this, and we were looking ahead at all the the twenty something issues uh, of artwork that were ahead of us, and all we had and in a lot of cases all we had was the printed reference, and trying to figure out what we were going to do, and it was a nightmare. But thankfully he was he was persistent. He went. Yeah, he went to incredible lengths, and hopefully he'll hopefully he'll explain everything he had to do. You know, so, someday he'll sit down and explain everything he had to do to get all of this uh, to get all this artwork. And he ended up getting a huge, huge portion of it. And you know, thank God he did because if not, there's no way that we could have done justice to to all this artwork. Just the detail that would have that was lost in the in the original printings. Even the, the it was reprinted a couple times. Just there was just never a perfect copy of this of this stuff out there, and especially when you start looking at the at the detail that like uh, John Tottleman put into the, to his work, it, it would have been impossible to scan the original books and restore them from there. 
how many hardcovers of that are out? Is I think like... the second one is uh, is either out or is about to come out. Okay, yeah. I'll look yeah. into that. It's really interesting. I, okay, I mean, I'm enjoying it. Pick it up. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Right. At, at, at the very least, you might think, "Oh, this isn't as great as I thought it would be," but it's. Uh, I think you'll. I think you'll be impressed. Yeah, I do. I mean, I tend to temper my expectations a bit, probably a bit too much when I read like older stuff, where I'm like, "Well, you know, these can't be." You know, it's I. I again, you know, I grew up on the Stanley Silver Age stuff, so I kind of expect things like to sound exactly like that. But uh, well, so. Yeah. You're yeah. a smarter man than I am, then, because I always keep my expectations really high, and I'm constantly disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I think that'll I think that'll do it. I want to thank you for for joining us. Um, any any parting comments? Um, no, not really. Uh, if you get bored, uh, my my website is westwongwithyou.com. Uh, <laughs> but that's really or really just westwongwithyou in Google will find me in various forms but um yeah that's pretty much it uh thanks for having me oh thanks for thanks for being here all right thanks bye-bye all right joining me now is heather bates how you doing heather i'm good how are you mike i'm doing just fine uh last week john and i gave you an assignment to read a comic and i gave you something to read yes and what was that something uh i forgot what the name of it was (laughs) it's right here Okay. Uh, the Kid Who Collects Spider-Man. That's right. From Amazing Spider-Man number 248, uh, 1984, I think it was. 1983, 84. I was in high school when this book came out. And uh, I remember loving the story. And I, ju- I just reread it last night for the first time in a long time. I'm sure I've read it since, in the 30-something years since it originally came out. But So, Heather, someone who doesn't read a lot of comics... Uh, admittedly, is that is that correct? Yes, uh, I don't I don't read them. Right, uh, this is a relatively short story, mm-hmm. and so, what are your thoughts? I thought it was heartwarming. Heartwarming. <laughs> heartwarming. Heartwarming. Yes. Well, spoilers. I'll give you a second to turn this off if you don't want to hear hear what happened. It's about a little kid with cancer. Well, yeah, but Spider Man, his hero, comes to visit him, and that's really cool. Oh, see, what? So I'd be really excited if I was dying and my hero came to see me. Well, that's interesting. That that's the uh, you t- you took a very optimistic view of that of that story. If I didn't laugh, I'd cry, Mike. Okay, that's better. How's that? Yeah, that's uh, that that that's fine. I remember I remember very vividly when I was reading this. Uh, it, it might surprise you to, to know that I was. Uh, uh, kind of anal about my comic book stories when I was a teenager. No way. Yeah, yeah. I was really. I get really upset if they weren't to my, up to my standards, uh, my very high standards for a 14, 15 year old. I remember reading the story and just thinking of how stupid it was. <laughs> that, it, why? And I'm. I'm. Uh, although I, this probably isn't literal, but this is how I remember it. Uh, I remember myself just laying in bed and just screaming at the comic book. Just why would Spider-Man tell a little kid all of this information? And then at the end, when the little kid says, hey, will you tell me who I am? And he's like, okay. And he pulls off his mask and says, I'm Peter Parker. And, of course, at this point, uh, it wasn't very common for people to know who's, that Spider-Man was Peter Parker, although it seems like almost everyone seems to know at this point. I just read through the whole thing, and it finally came to that, that very last panel, and my heart sunk. And I immediately went from, this is the stupidest story I've ever heard. Who is this Roger Stern guy who wrote the story? He should be fired to, oh, my God, this Roger Stern guy is the most brilliant person I've ever read. He's second only to Rod Serling at at that point to me. Do you you know who Rod Serling is? No. Oh, so sad. (laughs) This guy who wrote the Twilight Zone. A lot of the Twilight Zone. And I know you like that. Yes. And he he also... uh, co-wrote uh, the screenplay for Planet of the, the original Planet of the Apes. Oh, I like that movie. Yeah, see? See? Yeah. And he died from smoking too much. Oh. Yeah. Spider-Man cancer didn't visit again. him. Oh, my God. The can- cancer is, uh, is all over the place. Did Spider-Man today. visit him? Oh. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, probably not. Well, Star-Lord and Captain America are going to go visit people. How cool, people. Is, how that's, cool is that? That's really cool. It is. But So, now, as uh, this being... Uh, for all intents and purposes, let's call this your first comic experience. <laughs> what did you, what do you, what do you think? Uh, 
it was heartwarming. Yes. I mean, I, I don't really know what else to say. Um, yeah, this is the this is the story I point to when, when I tried to explain Spider-Man to people. The mm-hmm. idea, of the concept of what Spider-Man used to be before the movies came along. It just ruined, completely ruined it. Uh, and this is what comic books were for me. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine being you know, 13 years old. You know, reading a story like this, it was really, uh, I'm not going to use the word heartwarming. It's just not, I, uh, I don't know what else to call it. I'm a little perturbed by that. Okay. You know, call it, uh, uh, all right. You can uh, call it heartwarming, though. I just keep thinking this kid's long dead now. This is the story from 30 years, 30 years ago. Unless, oh. of course, he's probably got superpowers by now. In Maybe. The Marvel Universe. I'm sure he's back already. Yeah, he'll, uh, he'll come back around. Yeah. I, yeah. I actually started reading the the first story in this, the story before that with oh, the, yeah. the guy with the, whatever his name was, the ball. Uh, the thunder, uh, Thunderball or something. Yeah. And then I was like, why am I reading this? I thought this was about a kid who collects Spider-Man stuff. I told you to start on page Well, and then I was like, 13. this can't be right. So right. then I, re- I uh, reread your email and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and I'm looking through it. I'm going, God, I'd hate to flat that with all the... Rocks exploding on one of the pages. I think we did. Oh, well, maybe you didn't. I, I don't know. I don't remember if we did, we we've done so many books. I don't. I know that we did a lot of work for um, a, a volume that recently included this uh, this book, but I don't remember if oh. we specifically did did that one. I don't know. It looked kind of familiar, so oh, I probably was cursing at all those little bits of brick wall or whatever it was that was exploding. Reading something like this does it. Uh, I don't want to necessarily say change your mind about comics because like, oh, uh, I don't know what your opinion is of comics. Oh. Give me your opinion of comics, not this one. Yesterday, before you read this book, what are your what were your opinion opinion of comic books? Um, I think that they're they're pretty cool and people are really into them. But like reading the stories, it's it can be interesting. It can be, but it usually can be, not. But, well, yeah, just with some of the stuff that we've worked on, yeah. like, I'm reading it, I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> um, but some of it is entertaining. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Now, did, did, did this story uh, change your mind at all, or was it to you just, oh, it was a comic, that was a nice little comic story? Yeah, that's exactly kind of how I felt. Okay. Just, that was cute. Oh, that's yeah. that. Now that that is that is interesting. As a as a comic fan, you know, we spend a lot of time <laughs> trying to figure out why non comic fans are non comic fans, and you haven't helped at all. I'm sorry. No, that's that, that's all right. But it it, do, it does show that there you know, there's some people that just simply aren't interested in any of this stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. the same way with like with uh, you know my wife and my kids love. Uh, Manga or manga, whatever the hell you call it, and I've I've tried so many times to get into it, and I can't. I, it's just some. It's a genre re- related to a genre that I love, comic books. Mm-hmm. But I just don't like it. Probably the same thing with Harry Potter. I can't, I can't get into it. <laughs> I don't I don't know what it is about it. But I, I don't hate it. Yeah. I, I haven't watched Harry Potter and said, "Oh my god, that's stupid." Uh, I found some parts in there, but I I don't think there are very many movies. There's some parts there. where I but, say. Yeah, what? <laughs> That's not how that happened. <laughs> well, um, but I'm not giving up. Okay. I'm going to force you to read another comic. And oh, I'll, my and goodness. I'm not sure what... Yeah, maybe I'll ask... Uh, maybe I'll talk to John again. Okay. And we'll see if we can come up with something that... Something that's good, but we think would be completely opposite of what you might... So we picked this one um, because I think it's an easy story to get into. It, it, You'd be kind of hard pressed to find someone who isn't going to read it and at the very least say, "Oh, it's heartwarming." Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there'd be very few people who would put that down and say, "Geez, that's stupid." Kind of like mm-hmm. I was doing up until the very last panel. <laughs> I think most people would be at the very least be moved moved by that. Yeah. We'll find something a little that's not too involved, but okay. uh, and, and if you're listening, if you have any uh, you listeners out there, uh, both of you, if you can think of anything. That uh, would fit that category of someone that's kind of new, really into um, that. That's really into sci-fi and Harry Potter. If you can think of something that, that that she might enjoy reading, don't send me something like, "Oh, have her read Elf Course." That's like a thousand pages. Something that's uh, that at least the very first issue is contains. Uh, with you know, with a good story, and it's not one of those stories where, oh yeah, you got to read like twenty issues before you really start to enjoy it. So something in the twenty to thirty page range, 
And with all those other criteria I just uh, I just told you about. So send in your suggestions to info at kellistration.com. Oh, and we're on Twitter now, too. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Do you have a Twitter account? I actually, uh, I signed up before, but I, I forgot my password. And <laughs> so I, I actually signed up again uh, today. With a completely new? With a new one. With, with new, so out in the internet is just floating your old oh, yeah. uh, your old account yeah. that no one can get into. It's just yeah. lonely and just uh, freezing to death mm-hmm. like an astronaut separated from its spaceship. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you got some news for us? I do. Go right ahead. All right. IDW has released Star Trek Harlan Ellison City on the Edge of Forever. Star Trek, the original series episode City on the Edge of Forever, is regarded by many, including a TV guide poll of the 100 best TV episodes of all time, as the greatest Star Trek episode of all time. But there is much more to the story than what fans saw on TV. I thought I cut all of this out, but go ahead. Oh, am I reading this for no reason? Keep going. No, I, well, I, uh, the story I thought was interesting because it has some. I tried to make sure that all of our stories has some, even if it's a really. Th- uh, flimsy connection to the past. I, may, I make sure, so that's why you know that's why this okay. is. It's comics related. It has something to do with the past. Okay. But I had really tried to edit down the entire news report, and uh, I, I might have either forgot or maybe hit Control Command Z or something. And uh, uh, so keep going. I'll keep going. Yeah. Okay, Harlan Ellison's original teleplay for City on the Edge of Forever was modified before the episode was filmed, but now fans can enjoy his original teleplay in comic book form. Ellison's original teleplay won both the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation as well as the Writers Guild of America's Award for Most Outstanding Teleplay. I gotta look this up. I don't even remember what episode that was. City on the Edge of Forever. Is that the one where they go back in time? I uh, couldn't tell you. Edge of Forever. Star Trek. I can edit out this clicking if we need to. No, I don't know. Uh, it's the second to last episode of the first season. Oh. And, oh, it, it, man, this, this aired before I was even born. That's old. Well, they have an entire plot here. And, oh, yeah, they arrive in New York City. That's the one I was, uh, that's the one I was thinking about. And I think they kill the woman from Dynasty. This, what if somebody hasn't seen this? Oh, spoiler. Sorry. Well, if you haven't seen it, you're not a Star Trek fan at this point. There's only like four episodes of the series, isn't there? There's a lot didn't, of them. It didn't last that long. Yeah, but they just keep repeating the same ones over and over again. Oh, I don't yeah, know. It didn't go that long. Anyway. Anyway. For decades, legions of fans have speculated about the episode's history, but few people have read the original teleplay, which is different from the televised version. This comic book miniseries, produced under the guidance of Harlan Ellison himself, now offers fans everywhere the opportunity to see a classic Star Trek episode the way no one has seen it before. With artwork by J.K. Woodward, the 128-page hardcover is in comic shops now and will be available in bookstores on February 18th. I'd always heard that Harlan Ellison was a mean guy. We met him at a convention years ago, and he seemed nice. Hmm. Of course, he was in public. Maybe he was trying to... Maybe he was acting nice. That's entirely possible. Yeah, it could be. Writers are weird. Everybody's weird. Really? Yes. Oh, that explain a lot. <laughs> oh. All right, next. From Dynamite Entertainment, the third and final volume in the Red Sonia art edition. Hey, I worked on that. Don't want me to stop you. Good. Okay. Dedicated to Fantasy Illustration's shining star, Frank Thorne is scheduled to hit the stores on February 28th. Well, I think you read the comma wrong there. Probably. Yeah. I put right. one in there. Oh, there wasn't one there? Oh, my no. apologies. Oh, okay. Thorne. It should have been Frank Thorne, comma. Now, because that's where you, the way you read it, sounds like Frank Thorne's going to be in stores. That could be my fault. Frank Thorne's not going to be. Well, I guess he could be in the stores. All right, don't take that as as a as he's going to be in a store. Maybe he'll be in a store. Maybe he won't. Check your local store before you go running out to it. Okay. Yeah. Thorne, the defining she-devil artist, shares his original storyboards from... She-devil with a sword. 
from issue number 7 through number 11 of the acclaimed 1970s Red Sonja comic book series. Scanned in high-resolution color and printed at original size, the hardcover collection preserves every detail of the artist's meticulous skill and hard work, while sim- simultaneously presenting a complete storyline for all to enjoy. Yeah, because they didn't have all the original art available for this. And so they called us and they said, hey, can you, can you uh, just restore, you know, recreate some of the pages uh, for us that we can put into the book? And the good thing about it is uh, they don't lie about it. They, they put at the bottom of the pages that are not from the original art, although most people will be able to tell anyway. But they put a little disclaimer at the bottom that basically says, hey, this is an original art. We're just putting it here so that you can read the entire story without having to go and buy the books. Oh, I that's thought, nice. I thought that was pretty cool. We're pretty awesome. Yes. Also hitting the stands this month is Marvel Masterwork, The Submariner, Volume 6, with art by Gene Colon. That's right. Don't giggle at that. The man was a genius. I just wanted to make sure I said it right. Yeah, A. The Lady Dorma is dead, and the Submariner is on a rampage that will leave a swath of destruction across the surface world. But in his pursuit of vengeance, Namor learns that his father, the long-thought-dead Captain Leonard Mackenzie, is still alive. In the quest to find his father, Namor will cross paths with Spider-Man, Daredevil, and the Human Torch before he faces a gathering of his greatest enemies. Did you say enemies? I think I did. Oh. Enemies. That's better. Lyra, Tiger Shark, and Stingray... While his father's life hangs in the balance. If that's not enough, three of Marvel Universe's fiercest personalities, Namor, Doctor Doom, and M-O-D-O-K. Modok. Modok. Battle each other for the Cosmic Cube with art by the great Gene Colon. Yes. Collecting Submariner number 39 through 49 and Daredevil number 77. Double check that. Is that right? I did. I went uh, very slow very on good. purpose. Because we, we, <laughs> we got another correction for last week. I uh, bet we did. Um, well, it was a correction of our previous correction. Remember uh, last week we had someone telling us that we had uh, pronounced Uncharted incorrectly? Yeah. Well, apparently there's no R's in it. Oh, my So goodness. I guess it's Uncharted. I just read what's in front of me. I don't understand that either. But yeah, I was told there are no R's in oh. the name. So I get the name of the game is Unchated or maybe Unchated. I don't I don't know. Okay. Video gamers are weird. I guess so. All right. Anything else? Mm, yes. And finally, a three-year-old cancer patient. <gasps> More cancer. I know. What's going on? Has marked her last day of chemo by dressing as Wonder Woman. Three-year-old Sophia Sandoval of San Antonio, Texas, was diagnosed in May with a brain tumor, leading to months of chemotherapy. The tiny Wonder Woman fan celebrated her final treatment by dressing up as one of her favorite superheroes. We're being interrupted here. Is this the game? It's the series. Oh. I just had someone bring up the game. So it's Uncharted. Is what it's called. There's an R in Uncharted. Am I reading that wrong? Is there an R in Uncharted. Yeah. Yeah. That's Uncharted. I just put an extra R in it. What did you say? Uncharted? Uncharted. Uncharted. So it's Uncharted. 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 My bad. Which I can't say without making it sound like I'm saying sharded. With, a, with an S. That's why I was yeah. laughing too. It sounds like uncharted, which is a good thing. I, I, in my I, opinion, I don't want to be sharded. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Thank you. Thank you. That was that was one of our interns. Back to work, intern. Oh, where did I leave off? Oh, okay. That poor, that poor little girl. That's true. Yeah. It's very sad. In a photo posted Tuesday on the Jesse Rees Foundation Facebook page and then widely circulated through social media, Sophia posed triumphantly at the San Antonio Methodist Children's Hospital, holding a sign that reads, My last day of chemo. It was tough, but I was tougher. Sophia's photo even caught the attention of Linda Carter, the actress who played Wonder Woman in the 1970s TV show. Carter wrote, A real-life little WW. Let's show her some love. We felt so happy 
and so special because we didn't really expect that, said Sophia's mom, Rocio. It's so awesome because I know a lot of people who see this will see that my daughter is kicking cancer, and maybe it will help others. Sophia, who underwent a four-hour surgery in May to remove the tumor, is scheduled for an MRI to ensure she's cancer-free. But for now, she's back at home and playing like a little kid should. That's awesome. There she is. You see a little picture of her there. Oh, she's oh, cute. Adorable. I'm glad. I, I hope it all works out for her. Me too. I, I hate stories like that because you can't have them without the little kid having cancer, but... If you got to have stories like that, I like them when they work out. It's inspiring. Yes. And heartwarming. Yes. And if I'm ever unfortunate enough to get cancer, I'm going to dress like Wonder Woman when I finish my chemo. And that's a, that's a promise. Very good. Yeah. All right. I'm Heather Bates, and it is what it is. All right. Thank you very much, Heather. You're welcome. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Please look us up on Facebook, Twitter, and check us out at calistration.com. And support us by purchasing our new Master Series prints featuring Little Nemo and Slumberland. You got four 18 by 24 inch prints, and if you order now, you'll get free shipping on your next order. That's calistration.com. Okay, thanks everybody. We'll catch you next time.